0: back and stroking to Bogdanovic, thinking about a three,
1: there it is, yes! See it again. No double team help it. the feed, takes it right to the
0: rack. everybody it is a brand new episode of the feed to m on a uh i guess a lovely uh wednesday night it is a couple of um days before christmas i do have a pal of mine from the painted lines tiago i've been trying to get you on the last couple of weeks i finally succeeded in doing that how are you my friend?
1: I'm doing great, man. I'm excited to talk to Sixers. One day, they look like a playing team. Uh, The next day, they beat the Warriors by 10. So (laughs) it's never a quiet time in Sixers land. You're you're not wrong. Um, They are
0: coming off um, a win over the Boston Celtics in TD Garden. Um, And a couple of the things that I think we should start out with, because they've sort of been – Big picture things for this team all season long. Um, number one, the two man game with Embiid and uh, Seth. I mean, uh, as much as people like want to see Seth take like a thousand threes per game, which really it should be about eight, not a thousand, but you get the picture. Um, as much as you want to see him take like eight, nine threes per game, um, when he is as efficient as he is. As a mid-range shooter, I mean, on when on on Monday, his mid-range game was unreal, like legitimately ridiculous. Um, hitting everything, had no problem at all. Get like just getting off, squeezing off the mid-range jump shot. Um, and for a guy like him, for a guy like Seth, you really, it, it, it you're kind of like you don't you don't care if it takes. 10 mid range jumpers because he's just so damn efficient on them. Like I'm looking at a stat here. Um when um Seth and Joel are on the court together, the Sixers are shooting this is each of the this is to, to combine the last two seasons, including playoffs, they are shooting fifty-six point five seven percent on twos, and they are shooting uh forty point two one percent on threes. And that is in 2,071 minutes together over the last two seasons. That's an that's an obscene number.
1: The guy's the mid range assassin. What can you say? It's like Kevin Durant, then it's Seth Curry right behind them. There's no other questions about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, and you, when you
0: see the way that Seth shoots, where it kind of feels like he has to get it up above his ear, and he really has to like put in a lot of upper body effort, it feels like to get the shot off. Um, it's kind of it kind of feels almost miraculous that he's as good of a mid range shooter and really can hit the long ball as well. It, it really he it, it feels like he puts a
1: lot more effort um, than he probably actually does. Yeah, it's I what you're saying is like spot on. I think that the uh, his three point attempts is also up from last year. Is it not up to like five something a game? I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's up from last year. So he's taking a little more three pointers. He's definitely setting the mid range game. And I think that the Sixers are doing a very good job attacking drop coverage with triple handoffs. So the Embiid Curry triple handoff
0: game—it's
1: mm-hmm. what the Sixers have had closest to what they used to have with JJ Redick. It's not as dynamic and not as explosive, but it's Philadelphia's way of countering drop coverage. You know, teams that want to pack the paint—they don't really want to give Embiid anything in that area. Uh, the Sixers have countered that with Curry off triple handoffs and. I was just looking it up because, I mean, when you watch the video, it's like very visual how they attack defenses. And uh, Curry is averaging 1.31 points per triple handoff possession, which is just absurd offense. I mean, there is no reason for you to ever stop that if you're getting that on a constant basis. Uh, for those, those I- who don't
0: know, or that, sorry, for those who don't know, um, ideally, point per possession, you're looking at around one.
1: A little over one, so 1.3 is pretty damn good. <laughs> it's insane. I think I was looking at the list of players. I think only Patty Mills had a higher points per uh, possession attempt in the handoff game. Um, so that that tells you all you need to know about Curry uh, as a uh, as a mid range assassin, so to speak. And I think that you know, uh, even when teams do want to attack him, so say they don't, they kind of hedge towards him, so they want to give him that free mid range. Curry does a great job of keeping his dribble alive and attacking the heart of the defense. And that's where Joel kind of is able to pop back out and get a wide open look. So uh, it works both ways. It's not just Curry taking the mid range, open rate range when defense want to switch their coverage scheme, you know, Curry has a counter to that. And he has just enough juice uh, to keep, you know, the defense guessing and find Joel uh, open uh, in the mid range as well. So, uh, it's been a good partnership. There's no reason for them to change. I will say I'm a little bit more skeptical about working it in half court uh, in the postseason, but for right now, I think it's working just fine for the Sixers.
0: Yeah. Um, here's a number for you. The, um, when Joel and, and Seth are on the court, uh, the Sixers are outscoring opponents by 11.95 points per 100. Um and that offensive rating is one nineteen (laughs) point six, so that's really damn good. (laughs) Um, I and I do agree. I don't know that it's going to be viable to do that so repetitively, over and over again. But here's an idea. Um, for for case Doc listens to the podcast, um, (laughs) she listens to the
1: podcast, man. She listens to the podcast.
0: (laughs) And maybe he maybe he shouldn't come into the Discord chats. maybe if Ben comes back, try it with Ben <laughs> or maybe try it with Tobias, just to give like a little bit of like an inverted look or even a a a a, a, a not like so easy to to predict um, look with Joelle. Just, put seth with literally anybody in a dho and just see what happens maybe maybe two guys commit to tobias or two guys go to seth and then tobias dives hard like just something to mix it up a little bit so that way it isn't the same formula every single time um but i think that's i think generally any kind of action with with seth um in the middle of the floor is going to be a productive look um anything that allows him to sort of move off ball or or you know like use like his footwork to to, to create additional space is going to be good. Um, I also think that with the Embiid and Curry two-man game, one of the things that is so important for your offense is your ability to include the second side of the court and not just focus on the strong side. Um, because it, the more that you can like spread the ball around the floor and really incorporate both sides of the floor and and get off ball actions going and just sort of put more strain on the defense, make them widen their gaps and help um, the better your offense is going to be like help. Defense is so often not like feet of space, but rather like one or two steps, one to three steps in one direction. Um, Even like help just forcing the help defense to even think a little extra um, on on a possession is is like doing your due diligence as in as, your job as a floor spacer so I think anything that anytime that, that like they, they, they got a little bit of that uh action on the weak side of the floor with Tobias in the Boston game and he got an open three off the first possession um just incorporating little off-ball actions with the two-man game sort of throw the defense off or make them work a little extra is so huge for your offense um that was really good stuff to see there. And it's something that's been a pattern all season long um, for, for the Sixers. And really it's been a focal point of their offense. And I don't think it really speaks as much to the abilities of any one particular shooter, although Seth obviously being great helps. Um, but like, as long as you have a big like MB that is versatile and dynamic enough and a guy that can put the ball on the floor and and, and Seth and, and make, and then score at three different levels. Um, you can have an effective two man game like that.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think the Sixers have just enough shooting in their half court offense to make these actions work. I think it gets a little bit uh, trickier when you start introducing guys like Thiebaud into that lineup and you see the numbers just go like way down when Thiebaud's in like way. That 119 goes down to like 108 or 100, whatever the number is. I don't even know. But uh, the question that I have is, do you see this being a viable crunch time offense in the fourth quarter of playoff games? And the reason why I say that is because even if you watch that Boston game, I mean, they were hounding Curry on every possession uh, defensively. So Tatum Brown, they were just going after him. And again, Tatum Brown are wild, wild players, but uh, Kevin Durant and Giannis are not. And, they can easily pay a guy like Curry off the floor. So my really concern is how does that work, you know, in a one-point game with two minutes left against Brooklyn in game five? And, like, what do you do with Curry then? That's the main question, I think.
0: Um, I think the same flavor, the same chemical equation over and over again is not viable. But again, if you're mixing in um, Tobias there or um, let's say Ben were to come back or like literally just like anyone, maybe go a small, small or do it inverted with a DHO, that could be different. Like just just, just a different look within the same pattern I think could help. Um, just having some variety there. It's so much of the NBA is just showing the same thing in different ways. And matching it in, in variety, and obviously, in playoffs and crunch time, it's get the ball to your best player and get out of the way. In which case, it's just going to be Joel versus Kevin Durant anyway, or James Hart, you know, whatever. Anyway, um, but that's what you know. The the uh, to answer to your question: the same look over and over again? No, it's not a not a winning formula. But if you use that look and branch out in different ways, I think you can get enough out of it where you'll escape games. And you know, all you need to do is win one or two. Um you know, 50-50 games, and you're probably in a good spot. Yeah. Um, now staying on the Boston game. Um were you impressed with uh Jordan Clarkson? I mean uh, Jake
1: <laughs> <Ford>? <laughs> We gotta I know this is Sixers podcast, and people don't want to hear uh any Boston talk, but we gotta talk about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, man, because uh,
0: I think I'll tell you, I think,
1: I think, part- think Jalen Brown, Brown's way better than Jason Tatum. He is, but he also comes with his flaws. Yeah. I mean, both of them, I don't know what goes in. I mean, the Sixers are not even in this game. If these two guys decide it's takeover time in the fourth quarter. And if you watch their fourth quarter very closely, it's one poor decision after another. I mean, Bad passes, traveling, turnovers, You're not seeing open guys, taking contested shots, playing kind of questionable defense. It is one play after another. And I granted, I mean, these guys are still somewhat young, but at some point you are, you are, and you just may be a scorer. And I mean, that's why I kind of call him Jordan Clarkson 2.0. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I tease. I mean, the guy is definitely a step above Jordan Clarkson, but. There's a lot of plays that you scratching your heads late in games. I thought that they were a the main reason why the Sixers got back in the game against Boston um, when it all looked like it was all said and done. Now, granted, the Sixers did a lot of things late, which beat specifically, yeah. to kind of wrestle the game away, but that game should have never even been closed. And once these guys started going back into isolation, doing their own thing, uh, it was not something that if I'm a Boston fan, I would be very pleased watching. And, that, and that's not just against the Sixers. That's a repetitive thing with Boston and those two guys. And when you watch Boston closely, it's a constant thing. It's a reason why they're not a threat, and it's going to continue to be a reason until they figured out what to do with that nucleus. But uh, there's some things to talk about in that game as well, I'm sure.
0: Yeah. Um, what I would say about like that, like what you, your point about That game shouldn't have been close. Both teams were undermanned, and while the best player on the on for either team was on the Sixers, like just not even not even in that game, but generally speaking, the best player on the court plays for the Sixers in that game. um, The Celtics had a positional advantage um, in the Sixers' two areas of significant weakness. Like Jalen Brown is a better offensive player than Tobias. Seth and Danny are defenders, and, you know, or, or whomever. Uh, Jason Tatum is a better offensive player than Tobias, Seth, Danny, whomever else are defensive players. And, to- and, and Thibault can only guard one guy. He was all there in the fourth quarter up until the very end, until they brought in Isaiah Joe and he found out. Um, I thought Ime Udoka did a terrible job in that fourth quarter like he laid out his own blueprint to win the game the first time he played the Sixers and the Sixers had the same personnel on the floor <laughs> actually worse cuz they didn't have uh they didn't have Maxi, and they still like they like they didn't they they didn't like sandwich mbb they didn't front and yeah. um it, you know th- th- those two they could have easily Easily have have done the same thing they did in the first game and thrown the Sixers off, and they were just like, "No, we're gonna elect to let Joel go into single coverage against NS Freedom the entire <laughs> Like it was a it was a masterclass in how not to coach.
1: And he's supposed to be a defensive coach. I was never very impressed with the Sixers defense that, that year. Was horrible. horrible. Here he was, he was, like what's happening uh i i think i kind of won double team in the fourth quarter against joel i could be wrong with just one double the guys put on an epic performance and that's the best you can do it's just too much i thought that denny green was really good defensively and then he comes with his own set of flaws i feel like denny Green's kind of taking this whole year off in a way and putting himself back into like basketball shape but defensively leading games man he is so good uh, He's so good. It's insane. Uh, and he makes a ton of plays that do not even make it into the score box score that are absolutely critical for the Sixers to win, especially with a guy like Matisse Thibault fouled out. Uh, just, he always seems to know where to be, where to rotate. He's got great hands, like plays passing lanes extremely well. So uh, the six again, they, they need more of Danny green, but he was a massive part of that fourth quarter. I thought filling for Thibault in critical possessions and, uh, I mean, we can talk about Joel. I thought it was a masterclass of Joel and uh late in that game. I thought that it was everything that he sh- showed as an improvement he put in that fourth quarter. I mean, ability to hit shots off the dribble, you know, scoring tight spaces without turning the ball over. He has extremely compact near the rim. Uh, if you remember him back in his rookie year, earlier in the days, you know, he would like try to bounce the ball around the basket. And you're like, Joel, stop, just catch and go and make your move and, he's like mastered that now. I mean, if, he, if he's around the rim, he's going to either dunk it on you or do something, but it's not going to be a turnover. And uh, I mean, he had a couple of turnovers, but they're more passing oriented. They weren't so much near the rim. So I thought that it was just a masterclass. I mean, that speed drivel, uh, kind of jump step to the left where he hit at the end. That's just insane. I mean, the guy is on another level when he's playing at that, that speed. So, it's a good sixes for the news, man, because they need an MVP Joao, and he was definitely that against Boston.
0: Yeah. Um, I think, like, the one thing about his passing, he needs to, like, understand. Like, he, his IQ is super high, but he needs to understand okay, if I'm throwing it across the congested lane to get to the other, uh, to get to the opposite corner, I need to not, like, throw, like, these. Slightly over the head of everybody passes that are kind of hard, but not really. I need to whip a bullet pass so if it hits yeah. somebody in the face, the ball is going to like at least hit the floor and go out of bounds. But I need to like slingshot that thing across the, the court because there are times when like the Celtics would, would intercept that pass and they're out and running. Um, yeah. so that's like one of the things that he needs to do in terms of identifying better passes. But I like, think overall, his he was he was a little better at turnovers. There is like one turnover pattern that I wrote about in, in my game recap. Um, when he catches the ball in the middle of the floor, um, or if he catches it on the wing, there needs to be a, a teammate on either side of the floor that is letting him know, hey, they're blitzing you on the catch from the backside. Because even though it's a turnover on him, he can't see it coming because he's facing one direction. It's kind of like when 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 Jalen um, Hurts through the interception last night and Dallas Goddard kicked it off the back of his heel and it popped the ball up. Like that's a that that's an interception, but it shouldn't have been an interception. It really is kind of a bullshit a bullshit yeah. a box score blip. Um but you know those are there are things there that like his teammates can help him with um and and that's a scenario of one of those things. But I thought all in all it was one of those rare nights where and it's only something that superstars do but like he Played it a, a, a way too many minutes, um, but he got better as the game wore on, and he was like at his best in the fourth quarter. He had 17 points in the fourth quarter. His, the the two shots that sealed the game. Th- there was no debt. It was it was not like I'm gonna bang around down low and like get to the rim. It was I'm gonna shoot these two jumpers, and they're gonna be all cash money.
1: <laughs> yes, and kudos to Joel, man, because these are things that like Kevin Durant does, Damian Lillard does, that a lot high-scale late in games, Uh, I still keep harping on the same drum, and I will do so until it changes. I don't see the Sixers scheming easier offense for him late in games. So a little duck in, high-low pass when he's under the rim, something that he can just catch and go up with it and dunk. Yes, the Sixers are severely handicapped with what they have in the perimeter without Ben Simmons primarily as a passer and shot creator. But it's still like a ton of Joel isolation at the top of the key. Kind of figure it out late in the shot clock. And there are going to be games where these shots are not going to go in. So, uh, again, against Boston, he was incredible. But I still keep harping on the same drum. What are the Sixers doing to scheme just easy offense for him? Like, dunks, lay up something that... It feels like still, he's carrying the world on his shoulders late in the game. I feel like I, I get stressed watching him. And I'm on my couch watching TV. I'm like, Jamal, shoot, pass, do something. So I can't imagine what he must be feeling with all that pressure, all these double teams, like just flashing around.
0: Well, I feel like if he were a willing – because he, he's not a willing roller. He's a willing, willing popper. Um, I think that is something that – he could do for himself that would help if he would just like roll a little bit because his, his he doesn't trust his ball handler to make plays. So he, he sets a screen and then he pops because he's waiting for them to make the pass out so he can finish the possession himself, um, which is to the detriment of the team a lot of times, especially when his legs go late in games and he's thrusting up threes. Um, is Joe Johnson going to be the Celtics' best shot creator?
1: know <laughs> <laughs> oh, the best, but definitely the most efficient. <laughs> I would take ISO Dr 45 over whatever the Celtics have in isolation, right? I'll be honest with you. I uh, I kind of see this being a long-term thing when they realize like what high IQ basketball looks like. Remember,
0: remember the last Joe remember he has that iconic crossover against Paul Pierce? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's true. He just drills the mid-range jumper from the wing. And he was like Tommy Heinsohn or whatever his name was, just like was like, yeah. just like just got it. What got well, did you catch? Did you catch the Boston uh, broadcast? People were watching that. You know, I gotta tell you, people are like, they, 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 they have not warmed
1: up to Kate Scott yet. I think she's great. She's good. But I was talking about the uh, the Celtics broadcast. So after Joel hit that shot, Scalabrini goes all right, it's Jason Tatum time. And I was like, oh, no. no." I was like, buddy, that doesn't mean what you think it means. (laughs) I hope you're not putting Tatum in the same stratosphere John B. right now, Scott. That's
0: funny. Oh, man. Um, Yeah, not great. Now let's go over to um, our next topic. The Sixers, in light of COVID, have signed uh, two guys – they have signed Miles Powell, um, and they have signed uh, Tyler Johnson. Um, I gotta say, I was a big Tyler Johnson guy. Like, I, I, like just prior to my days of covering the team, I, I was a believer in Tyler Johnson. Um, his his three point rate last year for for the Nets was was, was hilarious. It was like seventy two percent of his shots were threes, which is which is he didn't have a ton of shots to begin with, but if you're the three point rate is going to scale to the number of shots you attempt, so it's going to be within the sample size and the confines of your regular shot diet. And so, regardless of how, regardless of whether he's taking six shots per game or 12 shots per game, 72% of his shots were threes, which is just hilarious.
1: The guy was catching it and letting it go from deep. Man, when you're playing it with Harden and Durant, you better get out of the way yeah. and not try to do any dribbling. Yeah, he shot better yeah. though, right? Because he had a really down year in Phoenix and a down year in Miami. But then last year, he kind
0: of—I don't remember, it. but I know Pat Riley gave him 50 mil.
1: So yeah, well, that's Pat Riley when he was off the, off the rocker there.
0: But see, that, that's that's the kind of margin of error you can make when when you're the GM of the Miami Heat or like the Lakers. Like you can afford to make that error. Because okay. you can then just go bail yourself out by luring in stars. Because it's in LA, yeah. yeah. Um, I gotta say, I think those two, like, like I, t- I was trying to find the right way to say this today on Twitter. Um, but like, if it's funny because the Sixers just need like fifteen guys that will say it's t- it's Shake Milton time. It's it's our driving time. It's it's like they need anybody who will have that mentality of I'm gonna I'm gonna go do mine. Um, I don't know if I
1: want Tyler Johnson during Tyler Johnson
0: time. The <laughs> only two people on the roster who will do that are Tyler Johnson and Miles Powell. It's great. So I'm yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready for the. Um, the 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 bench backcourt of Miles Powell and Tyler Johnson. They won't defend anything. They won't defend anything. But damn it, they're going to score a lot. Or if they don't score a lot, at least they're going to take a lot of shots, which is almost better than what you could say for the Sixers bench offense, for what it usually is.
1: Man, I uh, when we were doing like scouting reports last year during COVID, remember that we're writing all those scouting reports for college players. Uh, I did one on Miles Powell. And you're watching a scene hall. You're like, man, this guy's getting buckets left and right. He looks like he belongs first round talent, blah, blah, blah. And then I saw him step on the court against the Celtics. And I saw how small he looked. And just how everything seemed to be going like super fast for him. And I was like, oh, no. Like, this yeah. guy's not an NBA player. <laughs> like, no. he was like right away. I was like, I don't think this guy's an NBA player at all. I don't know, man. I Hopefully I'm wrong. The guy had some massive games at seen Hall, but watching that first game against Boston, it just everything just looked super fast. His shot just took like seemed like it took forever to go off. It was just, oh, there,
0: is the, there was the one shot against I forget who it was. Um, it might have been like Aaron Neesmith. <laughs> and he tries to, no, actually, this was this was. He, yeah, he got caught by Neesmith once. It was actually Aaron Henry. Yeah, threw, threw up a righty floater, and Neesmith just devoured him. Like it was, it was like a oh my god, what <laughs> like what is the level between the G League and the NBA? Like this is this is this is not like uh, Rashid uh, Wallace or like or like or like Ben Wallace or whomever. This is like Aaron Neesmith, right. and he just absolutely was like, I'm gonna get my game check right here and just. <laughs> Spike the ball. <laughs> yeah.
1: And Henry's a pretty athletic guy for, yeah. like, G league standards, too. He looked like, holy crap. Yeah. He looked like yeah. a different league. But I actually like him. He had a possession on Tatum that I thought was really good. Defensive. Yeah, and
0: Tatum, like, was forced to take a, a step back three. Yeah. And I believe uh, Aaron Henry, like, didn't jump. And he kind of just, like, like, just closed out the space between him and Tatum on the step back. And just put up his hands, and Tatum airball the three. But to to be fair to everybody, Jason Tatum in a three is something that he can just do when he's wide open, anyway. Yeah, so, it's two three times a game. Yeah. <laughs> people are people are very like Tatum is a very good player overall,
1: but he's not even close to what Boston people think he is. No, and he's trying to play with more power now. So I don't know if you noticed that he's trying to kind of bully guys. And first of all, he's not that powerful. He's bigger. He's gotten stronger for sure. But he's not a guy who can bully guys down low. And he's also trying to do this push-off thing. So he, like, elbowed Matisse in the chest. Yeah. A ref is, like, foul right away. And he looks at the ref, like, what do you mean a foul? And I'm, like, really, man? Like, what are you doing in the summer that you think an elbow in the chest is a viable move in the NBA? Like, so – I just think he's gotten way too much isolation in this game. I mean, we talked about him right in this podcast. and I going to beat the same drum to death. But it's clear as day, like, Boston needs to figure something out between those two. It, it does not work. It's not going to work, and it's, it doesn't look like it's ever going to work. Who would you keep? Uh, I would still keep Tatum um, because I. while I do think Jalen Brown is the better player, I think Tatum's ceiling overall as a scorer uh, fits well with somebody else they can bring in. I think that Jalen Brown is a better player and a more rare rounded player. But I think from a scorer's perspective, I think Boston is always going to be deficient if they go to Jalen Brown as like a 1B kind of player. Whereas I think Jason Tatum has established himself as a scorer 26, 27 points a game. We can argue about how he gets there, but it's still like It's still 26, 27 points a game pretty consistently. I don't think Jalen uh, can give you that on a consistent basis, so I think that I would still keep Tatum, and I think you can really get a lot for Jalen Brown. I think Jalen Brown's market is pretty strong if he was put to be put out there on the market. I don't know. What would you do?
0: I think the best thing for Jalen Brown would be to – be the one going out but i think the better player is J- is, is and i think the better player is Jalen brown um so i guess the player that you keep is probably tatum because like you said he I, I think he's a more prolific number one or a prolific number two i don't think either of them are number 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 ones like they're, they're not absolutely they're, not i
1: understand
0: not no, they're not number ones um and I think the better mold for a number two is probably Tatum, even if he currently is not the better player. But having said that, I think Brown can be an excellent number
1: two. Uh, I think so. But I watch him more closely over the last couple of weeks, and I know he's dealing with an injury. I kind of code off with him a little bit as, like, the guy the Sixers should go after, assuming he's out on the market. Granted, if he's available – He's the only guy available. You make the move. You can't do this Ben Simmons thing forever, but I am not as high on him as, like, all right, we got Jalen Brown. Let's go. There's still a lot as a passer, shot creator that I'm still down on Jalen Brown. I'm not saying it's bad, but I don't see him slotting as like this number two next to Embiid and just, you know, helping the Sixers get to a championship. I still think he would need kind of like a Jeru Holiday type point guard, right? A guy who can kind of create, keep people in the right spots make the right passes. I think if you had that as a point guard option with Jalen Brown, with Embiid, then you think you have a championship nucleus. But I don't think you just go straight to Embiid and Brown and you know kind of play that one-two game with those two guys and win a championship. But, again, I could be wrong. This is just based on what I'd say.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I think Tatum is a fine number two in certain situations because, like, he doesn't really have a conscience. He'll take any shot that, that he can get. No. Which is kind of what you need as a for for a guy behind the number one. Um, I think if I'm putting Tatum as a number two, I kind of have to put Brown as a number three. Which then I guess means that I'm
1: putting Tobias as a four. Oh god! I <laughs> <laughs> whole podcast oh, on Tobias <laughs> man, <laughs> and I'm a Tobias fan, but we got to have a serious discussion right now.
0: <laughs> it is, it, it has been a rough going for Tobias over the last yeah. 12 games. He was excellent though against Boston, and it was really because he was getting to the rim. Um, I'll tell ya, you, you want to see somebody who's like vertically limited in athleticism. Tobias, you're never quite sure if he's going to get up there for a dunk all the way. Like, oh, like, like, like he, like, there was the, there, I forget who blocked it, but some Celtic blocked, um, it blocked him at the rim and he had a fast break dunk and he was like i think he tried to finesse it a little bit and he tried to get a little fancy with it but you could even like even if he hadn't you could just see up close in the live action or like in the in the replay that there. If you could not project him getting up to a higher yeah. level and dunking it it was like oh he's already heading down to the floor and the ball isn't even at the
1: rim yet <laughs> Remember that Miami game a couple years ago, the, where the Sixers blew that huge lead in Miami with the, you know, the Horford, Jason Richardson crew. And Tobias tried to dunk, like, right at the end of the game, where all he had to do was dribble the clock out. And he oh, tried he to bam it. He botched, botched it. Bam <laughs> <laughs> out of bio. And you're like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and, then, and then, of
0: course, of course, Hero comes down and nails Yeah, yeah, those was exactly what I Oh my God! Like, Bias got to look at the game winner and missed it in the corner. Yeah, exactly. over no, no, time. Oh man, what a time! Uh, uh, that, was, that was quite the year. Let's go over to Thievel. Um And my God, it's it's. I, I'll tell you, I am. I, how do I say this to somebody who covers the team fairly? <laughs> um, the <a> roller coaster. <laughs> it's not getting much better. It's, it's not. not. Um, his best year from three was his rookie year. Yeah, he actually had a game his rookie year where he hit five threes, five three the- pointers. I was looking at that. I was even going to yeah. bring it up on the
1: podcast. Like, yeah, I
0: told you time like five three pointers, <laughs> and game. he had like twenty points in a game once, and, and he was a rookie, which I guess speaks to the limited offensive, play- the offensive arsenal that that Sixers team had, even though they had like over a hundred million in their starting lineup, um, but. It was like he has just been a, a steady regression ever since his rookie year. Um, he's shooting below 30 from three. Um, you thought maybe you saw something in his offensive game. He, he could dribble a little bit without turning the ball over early in the season. But now all he's doing really, it's just um, he can't pass at all. Uh, he can't really dribble. He got Jalen Brown snoozing on a back door and dunked it. Um, he's probably their best athlete, (laughs) but he can't finish. (laughs) So it's kind of like, what is he giving you right now? He'll hit the occasional three, but even like against the Miami zone, it was still like they exposed having five on the floor because they win zone and the sicker could do nothing against it.
1: Yeah, man, it's not good. It is not good. I mean, but at the same time, like you'll have a game like Golden State where you're like, this guy needs to be on the floor. Right, and even against Boston, I thought that he was really, really good defensive against Tatum. He had six turnovers. Uh, again, you have to keep him on the floor because, like you said, the Sixers lack athletes at a very large scale. And Thibault is a guy who can hedge and then attack the perimeter, contest. And the Sixers don't have that. Like if you watch guys like Curry, even guys like Maxi, they Maxi, particular, is terrible at contesting shots. He leaves ton of driving lanes open Curry will get there but he's just not high tall enough to, to get to the shot point Thaibo was one of the few guys that can get there and really make it hard on the shooter so you need guys like that on your team and playing especially without Simmons because Simmons was that guy defensively yeah but the question I brought up to the guys when we talk about after the post game is uh, to me Thibault was a matchup player so you know you're playing against like a guy like Curry yes, Tybo should be on, on part of my rotation. You're playing against a guy like Tatum, Tybo should be on part of my rotation. But if I'm playing against a team doesn't really have that strong like 1A score, does Tybo need to be part of my regular rotation? And do I need then perhaps – do I can use maybe Isaiah Joe, who, by the way, has also been really bad this year. Really? But anyway, I mean, really, really bad. <laughs> like unplayably bad. So I want to g- give Joe a chance, but that chord seems to be shrinking by the day. Yeah, I mean,
0: Furkan has actually added to his graces by missing games because, yeah, because <laughs> Joe has given them zilch absolutely nothing. <laughs> and you can just see, like, once
1: Cork misses back, Joe's gonna go right back to the bench.
0: Which, I mean, to be fair, he hasn't given you anything to show uh, that he's worth giving minutes to, but right, um, it's funny because if Joe hadn't made the one free throw, <laughs> the bench wouldn't have scored a single zero. Point. <laughs>
1: and you still beat boston so <laughs> it tells you all you need to know about the celtics
0: <laughs> yeah oh man um geez, yeah. that's, 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 an, that's an incredible feat right there just you beat a mediocre celtics team with with one free throw from the
1: bench and, yeah. uh, and starters did everything else um i mean the, just to wrap up on that was like the question i would have is um would you sweeten a deal with Diable, assuming there's something out there with ben to kind of just get this thing unclogged, right? So perhaps you get a team that I know is not really looking to move up, kind of a star player, but now you have Thibble out there, and it kind of makes things move a little faster. Do you even think it's a viable option, or the Sixers are truly like in love with this guy? Because, again, man, defensively, the guy is phenomenal, but I just don't see how it's going to ever work offensively.
0: Yeah, I don't think he's going to get much better offensively cuz he's already 25 and um this is what he is. Like he like he hasn't gotten he's gotten worse offensively every year, not better. Um, and I think I'm at the point where I would certainly entertain trade entertain trade discussions for Thiebel um, because as good as he is defensively, he's such a bad offensive player. That you can't even like keep him on the court for 20 minutes, 25 minutes per game, anyway. So, really, like, what value does he have to you if you can? If he has, if there's a limit to how many minutes you can play him and still be an effective team. Um, so I would certainly entertain trade discussions for him. Um, I would probably, I would at the very least, like see what the market is. If it's a first round pick, if it's like a couple of like, you know, if, if it's, if it's a shot creator or something like that, or just kind of anyone that can shoot the ball, probably do that. Um, I I don't know that you can put him in the same deal as Ben because you need to have like some sort of defensive chops. Um, and I, I just, I, I, I feel like if you're going to put Ben in the deal for, for, for Lillard or, you know, whatever other star you're going to get, there isn't, like, a dynamic two-way offensive-defensive star out there on the trade market right now unless it's, like, Jalen Brown. But even then, I don't know how many – like, do you really want to trade Thibault in the division to Boston Trade him? trade him back to Boston?
1: <laughs> yeah. I know Bill Simmons would love that because he brings up Thibault every time. He talks yeah. About him, so. yeah, well, he's no Carson Edwards, that's for sure.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, I would, de- I would definitely say it's open shop on on Matisse Leibel. Um, I don't think I don't think you can extend him unless you like unless he's going to take less than ten million per year, which my get my guess would be his market's probably a little higher than that. Yeah. So I mean, if you if if your if your question if the question is like, do we if, you, if you're the years and your question is do we extend him, would you trade him? Before, you know, before he's eligible for an extension, I think you would probably do the trade.
1: Would you do this trade? And again, just. Hypothetically, would you trade Diablo or whatever you need to add to this for like DeJounte Murray? Yeah. Yeah. Even though Murray comes with his own set of issues, probably not as good defensively, but a little bit of score. Yeah. People
0: are like, DeJounte Murray is really taking the lead by storm. Like, he's the number one option on a team that is six games
1: under 500. Yeah. He comes with a lot of flaws, man. A lot of flaws. But he will give you that kind of shot. Even if he's coming off the bench, he would give you like that that shot creation. He's a great passer. He would definitely- be your starter. Like he would start next to
0: Thib, next next to uh, Maxi, but people are like, "Up, oh, this is the next up and coming star." And I'm like, I don't know about that. Let's no, that's,
1: no that's, that's,
0: a- let's take a minute here to think. Um, but I mean, I would definitely like I would trade Thibble for Dejounte Murray in a minute.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, they got the Hawks tomorrow. The Hawks are are on their own COVID binge right now. Um, uh, Kevin Herter just entered into health and safety protocols while we were on this
1: podcast. Thank Um, you, Jesus. That guy, man. He's a definitely punch-the-face kind of player, man. Wow. You don't think so? You would not make it your top five punchable faces? I mean, no. (laughs) No? Wow.
0: I mean, he has COVID. I hope he's okay.
1: No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it when he's playing. <laughs> I mean he's
0: know. he's definitely put the hurt put the hurt on the Sixers recently, um, but people are like this season's a joke. Whatever, it's this. It's really kind of like the similar season the last season. Really, I mean yeah. a lot more volume of guys going to health and safety protocols, but the bottom line is the teams took their took their turns whooping on the Sixers when they were missing games with health and safety protocols now it's the Sixers' turn to, to return the favor. So, I mean, it, it's kind of like you, you know, it's it's always fair in a sense because just as the Sixers, you know, had some COVID scheduled losses because they were out without Joel, they were out with Tobias, whatever. Um, now it's their turn to win those games. So they didn't do it against the Heat. <laughs> they didn't do it against the Nets um, because they forgot how to, how to play against the zone um that's a whole different story for a different time um but you know they they have a chance to go on the christmas now and uh on a, on a two-game winning streak they might be playing the wizards on christmas depending on how this thing goes
1: <laughs> although i think denny green just got put on covid protocol right
0: yeah he's in covid i'm trying to find out more information about that uh, as to whether he's symptomatic or not i don't know um but yeah that is something too so I, I guess there's a chance that they will be starting like Tyrese, Joel, Tobias, uh, Curry, and Thibault, which is the exact lineup that got them just blistered by the Heat.
1: He, uh, I was so, that game, man. It was painful to watch. was
0: they got they got Gabe. They got hit by the Gabe Vincent
1: flu. Oh God, that guy would not stop shooting. You
0: he know, it's actually good. really good. Good Max
1: Drews. He's good, but he can shoot. Yeah, he's he athletic too. Yeah, he can definitely shoot. The Heat, man, they just they just know how to play. I mean, I love watching them play. I mean, they are extremely well coached. I mean, I mean not to start a Doc conversation, but <laughs> you see the level of coaching when those two teams face off. It's In my your favorite conversation? Yeah, hey, I've been taking it easy on Doc, man. There's a lot of Doc chatter. I just you know, listen, watch. Occasionally, I'll throw a jab here and
0: there. Well, I was, I was, so I was, I even wrote in my, in my game story, I was so ready for that Thilo starting lineup to be just garbage because like literally everything that you could, there's, there's like ounces of data. Just like you could fill in a fucking,
1: yeah, dude. like
0: scale with the, the amount of data there is. Don't that. That, that says, like, you can't start Thibault, You can't play him next yeah. to Embiid. You can't play him next to Maxi, And he's
1: like, nah, I'm going to throw him in again. <laughs> you know what's great about that is that Sixers Twitter, when they announced it, they're like, oh, man, I love Thibault in the starting lineup. It's about time, like, wait, so you love Thibault, but you don't love Ben Simmons, right? Because Ben Simmons doesn't shoot, but passes, plays defense, dribbles, does everything else that Thibault can't do. And they're just like, I don't know. I mean, on on one on one
0: hand, it's like Thibault uh, or Ben's a max player. He's a max contract, and and he's a number one overall pick. You have high expectations. Um, he also has a, a certain level of baseline talent that he can get by on and still be an effective NBA player, yeah. uh, at least in the regular season. Whereas Thibault, he can't. he he, he had <laughs> moments where he's not effective in either the regular season or the playoffs. And he, he has no baseline level of skill except for the defensive side of the ball. But even then, he, he's not like a consistent, like, gut-punch defender like, like like Ben is. Yeah. Thiebel will have games where he's great. But he'll have games where he has three fouls in the first, uh, you know, half. And you, you have to, like, use him sparingly in the second half.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He's yeah. playing stronger. I actually think he can play a little more to power forward this year than... Thiebel. Yes, yeah.
0: That would be a fun lineup. If, if they could if they could get him to be effective in the short roll, yeah, that would make your offense so much more dynamic. Yeah. Like yeah. whether it's whether it's just making a simple pass out of the roll or just like beelining to the rim for a dunk, using him as a screener has the ability in theory to be super effective. Um I wonder if like with if Ben were to come back. If they were to just be like, here's Draymond Green. Watch how Draymond Green plays. Be Draymond
1: Green. That's all he needs to do. That's the third time you said if Ben to come back. Do you know something that we don't know right now? <laughs> no, but I'm just thinking like. Because I rolled that, that ship to me has sailed already entirely. man. No,
0: I'm just thinking like if he isn't gone by the trade deadline. Okay. It would only make sense for him to come back and play. Because at that point, you're not getting out until the summer anyway, and you're losing money. So why wouldn't you just play? Like it makes literally no sense.
1: I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, But if you play and you come in at like half-heartedly, half-speed, do you at that point start really chipping into this trade value? I think it's trade value right now is what it's always been. I don't put too much stock in that postseason stuff because I think there are other stuff at play. But I think if you to come back and play at that same level again, uh, then I think teams will start looking at this like, what do I have with this guy? Right? Is this guy truly like the all NBA player we saw two years ago, or just like a shell of himself now?
0: Well, I think at that point the six would be like, all right, let's shut this down and not let <laughs> it play. Down, yeah, <laughs> seen it we'll pay you to not play. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Please stop showing up. <laughs> um, I mean, everything that I've heard, just from like my own research, is that he hasn't been. Uh, he, he, he's been there do- doing his individual workouts and he's, um, been like, you know, he, he's been coming into the, into the facility. Um, I don't know or think that there's been any kind of team, um, exposure. Like, I don't think he's been doing things with the team. We damn sure haven't seen him lately. Um, I will tell you this, it is funny when, uh, Daryl or Doc know that, or when, when Daryl or Elton Brand know that, like Keith isn't there, or Derek isn't there, or uh, Kyle isn't there, they'll make their way downstairs out of their offices and they'll be like they'll show themselves on yeah. the <laughs> practice. But then when 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 there's a, when they when they know that the Kyle is there or Keith is there, Derek's there, you don't see a word, you don't see them at all.
1: <laughs> you don't have to deal with the questions. Yeah, <laughs>
0: and then even when they do show, they like. They keep on the other side of the court. So that way you can't go over to them. <laughs> that's the um, thing. <laughs> wow. All right, Tiago. So well, um, what, do you, what do you got coming up?
1: Yeah, so I'm finishing up an article on why I think Mori kind of has to take a little more of a hands-on approach to the Sixers roster. Um, they're lacking athletes. We talked about that. It's a very slow roster, slow decision-makers. And I think that, you know, I understand he's very uh, hamstrung about what he can do with the roster, but to my opinion, he's got to start working the peripherals a little bit better uh, to get some guys who played at a different pace, uh, play a little bit of different speed. Uh, and, you know, we talk about Tobias, Sheik Milna's perfect examples of kind of those players. So I'm not saying trade him, but, you know, the, he's, in my opinion, he's got to start looking at the roster from a different perspective and give Doc an incentive to play. Faster because the Sixers are slow, and a lot has to do with the fact that they have slow players on the roster, so it's not just Doc Rivers So, yeah, all right,
0: <laughs> well, everybody, we appreciate you tuning in on a Wednesday. Have a Merry Christmas, and uh, we'll see you next time for a new episode of the D2 MBA. Come prop up on Thrive Fantasy this football season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports and eSports app for player props. With Thrive, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus on only the top-tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game. Choose 10 out of the 20 available player props to build your lineup. Each prop is assigned a fantasy value for both the over and the under based on how likely it is to hit. Hit the most props and you rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. Thrive has over $100,000 guaranteed in prizes for each NFL week and has awarded over $6 million. $6 million. Thrive's featured $40,000 guaranteed contest for Sunday is $20 to enter and first place takes home $10,000. Use promo code Austin, A-U-S-T-I-N, when you sign up today and you will receive a one hundred. dollars percent instant first deposit match up to a hundred dollars that's a hundred percent instant first deposit match up to a hundred dollars download thrive fantasy on the app store or play store or by visiting their website www.thrivefantasy.com sign up and prop up today